Welcome to Pin the Q Productions. If you are interested in the culture of the fire service and keeping tradition alive, you have come to the right place. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pin the Q Productions. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, you saw the announcement go out on our Instagram page just to let you know it was coming. And it's finally here. Obviously with COVID going on, uh, unable to make the trip, to Cincinnati, which uh, I was looking forward to doing, but uh, for me, that was about a 10-hour trip, and uh, with everything being shut down and all the delays, and of course, not being able to walk around in the firehouse um, with the brothers and sisters uh, always stinks, but we do have Zoom, thank God for technology, so we're able to bring Bobby to you uh, on Zoom, which uh, everyone knows in uh, 2020, this Zoom thing is a big deal. Everyone's doing this uh, from their homes. But we're here in the studio today, and we are really excited, Bobby, to get you on the show. Thanks. We've been trying to do this for some time now, and uh, we are here. So, Bobby, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? My name is Bobby Shelton. Uh, I'm a firefighter paramedic for the city of Cincinnati. Uh, I've been in the fire service 29 years, the last 25 with the city of Cincinnati. Uh, I spent the vast majority of my career on a truck company. And for the last 10 years, I've been uh, assigned to a heavy rescue. And in Cincinnati, our heavy rescue also does all the hazmat. So not only do I do technical rescue, but we do hazmat response. So that's kind of my background as far as what I'm doing right now. I also have some off-day gigs like most firefighters. Uh, (laughs) I teach for the state of Ohio, the Ohio Fire Academy. And I teach for a community college here in the city in the fire science program. So we've got in our fire science program, kids who are just now coming into the fire service. Whereas when I teach for the state, we go around to different departments, both volunteer and career. And we do fire behavior labs and everything that incumbent or firefighters who've been on the job for years uh, can benefit from. It's always fun too when you have, you know, the salty dogs coming in to teach. And at the beginning, they got their arms crossed and you're trying to get through to them. And then finally, when their eyes open up and their ears open up, you're like, now see, now that this is why you're here to pay attention. <laughs> it's well, like- and, and the other thing is, too, I, I always have I learned early on as a teacher to utilize those guys. Absolutely. Those guys who have more time than you or have had different experiences from you utilize those guys because they're going to make the class better. Initially, yeah, they come in. And we call them prisoners. Okay, <laughs> who of you has been forced to be here? Notice people watching right now. I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> right. And I've been that guy too. Sure. Who's been forced to be here. And then once you break that ice, they're more likely to right. be accepting. Once they know that you know, all right, I'm being forced to be here. But if you say something I can use, I'm all about it. Absolutely. And generally, they come around. Yeah, and those guys all offer they'll give you experiences that they've had and then you can bounce ideas off each other. And then everyone else starts to listen, especially the, the you know, the new firefighters, which is great because they need to hear those life lesson stories. Right. So Bobby, bring me back to the beginning, brother. When uh, you started thinking about becoming a firefighter, I see you smile. So I know this is going to be good. How, how does this all become for you? Now, according to my mother, and I'm not going to say that she's wrong. When I was about four or five years old, I wanted to be a firefighter. We lived in a four family apartment building and 
our downstairs neighbor who his boys are my age 54 and he's got one that's a couple years older um we used to play together but he was a firefighter and back then in the mid 60s early 70s the fire department used to do block inspections where they go out and inspect apartment buildings and all sorts of multifamilies, businesses and what have you. So they would come on the apparatus and I would see them. And my mother tells the story that when they would come around, I had some galoshes, some <laughs> and a little raincoat and a plastic fire helmet. And I took the washing machine hose off of the washing machine. Now this is what she says. And I went out and would always talk to the guys. And like all kids, you climb on the apparatus and do this right. and that. When I went to elementary school, the firehouse was right next to the elementary school that I went to. And so during recess, I would sit outside the firehouse. And during the good weather, you know, we'd always have the doors open. It wasn't like the security issues we had to have now since 9-11 uh, and all that. Right, right. And the firefighters would come out and talk to me. My neighbor was there and he would always call me his son. And I got to know the different officers and the different drivers and all that. And that started my love of the fire department. But then the other thing you got to remember too, is that in the early seventies, that's when emergency came out. Now, uh, I love that show. And I was all about emergency. That was I was cool. it. So between <laughs> You know, going to the firehouse next to my school, having a neighbor that was firefighter, an emergency. Is At four years old, I knew this is what I wanted. I didn't want anything else. So your path was already set for you, just like my, I, I set my path. And my mother was a nurse, so she was very obviously involved in healthcare and helping people. Yeah. And the incredible thing about my mom is she was a single parent. So I'm the youngest of her five kids. I'm 54. My oldest sister is 74. Wow. But I was on that path anyway. That This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And I would do anything to get this job. So bring me to, you know, your adolescent years as you're coming up. You, you're like, your dream is still there, right? You want to become a firefighter? All, all the time. Like it never waned. I always wanted it. I took the test for the Cincinnati Fire Department the first time in 1984. I hadn't even graduated from high school. I graduated high school later on in 84, but when they offered the test, right. I took it. And at the time, uh, they were really looking for uh, a more diverse fire department. So... You know, they were looking for males, females, especially African-American males, African-American, and just females in general. So I took the test in 1984 for the first time. Back then, and I just found this out recently, they had what was called the rule of threes. And so what the rule of threes was is so it's me and you and John over here who are up for a job. Right. So the first go around they pick you. So that leaves me, John, and this other guy. The second go around, they pick John. So it's me and two other guys. If they don't pick me that third time, I'm out. Okay. That's the rule of threes, huh? 
That's the rule of threes. And um, from what I've understood, I just asked someone recently about this. They still do something along those lines. So that was in 1984. And our civil service list is good for two years. Okay. So every time that the fire department offered the test, I took it. And every time I got booted out on the rule of threes. It wasn't based on test scores or anything like that because I always scored in a higher percentile of males, period. But I always just was subject to the rule of threes. So between 1984 and 1991, I took the test every time it was offered. Bobby, that's incredible. You, you just kept going and going and going and fighting for what you wanted. And, and between that time, in 1989, I got married. And my wife knew I wanted to be a firefighter. We were relatively newly married. And I said, well, I want to be a firefighter. If I can't get on here, I want to start applying other places. Awesome. So I went down to Lexington and applied a couple of times. I had some friends that lived in Lexington, went there. Uh, didn't get on for whatever reason. Came back here. I eventually got hired by a small suburban fire department full-time outside the city of Cincinnati. Now, what was that like for you, bro? What was it like to finally get on the fire department? No, it wasn't where you wanted to be in Cincinnati, but you got on. You know, I've heard everybody on the cast say this, but it really is you hit the lottery. 100%. It's like, especially when from four years old, this is all I ever wanted to do. But even, so, more, even more for you, you kept fighting for right. what you were going to do. And that's awesome. Right. And, and I hit the lottery then. And I worked, and they weren't a busy fire department. A lot of suburban fire departments aren't necessarily busy. But I learned stuff. Right. And... It was a great foundation. I worked with some really good firefighters there. And what's funny, one of the guys who I was on the same day with, he wanted to be a Miami-Dade fireman. That's what he wanted to do. And he left that suburban fire department. He actually got a job in Miami-Dade. Ah, good for him. But then... He came back to Cincinnati. Homesick? No, uh, family. Okay. So he tried out for Cincinnati and got on Cincinnati. When I was at the Suburban Fire Department, I was junior to him. When he came to the city, he was junior to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. How it works is that like that. So, you know, just experiences like that. And you and I were talking earlier about six degrees of separation, there's always somebody we know somewhere right. from some department. And, and I've had the privilege of uh, teaching for the IFF for 12 years, teaching hazmat and some technical rescue stuff for 12 years for the IFF. And I have had the privilege and opportunity to teach for the largest fire department in this country, FDNY. And the smallest fire department I ever taught for was the Lehigh Valley International Airport Fire Department. And I think that local had like seven members. Wow, that's awesome. So you run the gamut from, you know, a large, large agency to a small, you know, more intimate. And every place in between. That's great. So 
talk, talk, walk me back to the fire academy for you. What was it like for you to go to the fire academy? Because I listening to you and hearing you talk about your dream as early on as four years old, 84, you started taking tests. It took you a while, right? 89 before you got on. No, I. it took me to 91 to 91 get on with the Suburban Fire Department. Right. Right. Then I got out the Suburban Fire Department. It took me another four years to get on with the city. <laughs> so when you went to the Fire Academy for the Suburban Fire Department, walk me through that. What was that like for you? It, it was different than the the city's Fire Academy. The, the Fire Academy back then, it, it was a 200 hour. That's what they call it, 200. I think now in the Fire Academy, it's 240. Uh, the firefighter two is 240. It was 200 hour. And you can always tell how old somebody is when they say, well, I went to the 200 hour course where right. you've been doing this at least 25 years, if not more. <laughs> yeah. The and it was at a vocational school. Okay. But again, it was the realization of my dream. Right. So whatever, I was just trying to soak it all up. I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And I was so happy to be there. It didn't matter. There was no subject that now hindsight would have been boring as all get out. Yeah. But at the time, it was all brand new. Soaking it in. I, that's all I did. Right. I mean, that's that's the best recruit you know. You know better than anybody being an instructor. I mean, the best recruit is a sponge. Yes. You know, just take it all in. Yes. So walk, me, walk me through this now. So your wife, you're on the fire department. How's, how's that going at home? How's she dealing with all of it? Because it's a culture shock. It, you know what? My wife, we've been married for 32 years. Uh, God bless you. And my wife is the strongest person I know by far. She is one of the smartest people I know. And she is the most loving person I know. She has never, ever discouraged me from doing anything I wanted to do. And sometimes there were things that I did as far as training and others that put us in a tight sometimes. But she never discouraged it. She always supported it. And so it wasn't really too much of a culture shock because being raised by a nurse, I kind of had the gallows humor thing going anyway. <laughs> yes. And I can remember very young, a teenager, um, when my grandfather, my mother's father, was dying, she didn't want him to be in a nursing home. So she brought him home with, with us. And I helped her take care of him. And this is as a 14, 15-year-old. Very special person to do something like that. So, you know, I had that gallows humor. My wife has a great sense of humor. And so you've got my strong personality, because my mother was extremely strong. My wife's strong personality but we truly complement each other. That's great. Yeah, support system is huge for fire service and has a lot to do with the success of the person, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I will not argue that because I know personally that I could not have done the things that I've done in my career without her. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's great to hear, man. So tell me about Cincinnati, brother. Like you're at this suburban firehouse, right? And how's it happen? How's it come to be? You know, I, I'm working for the suburban fire department, not making a lot of runs, but it was, like I said, it was a good foundation. Right. Uh, that's where I became an, 
EMT because in, in Cincinnati, in Ohio in general, you have to be an EMT firefighter or an EMT paramedic. It's not separate here. And the vast majority of fire departments here do their own transport anyway. Right. So I got on with the suburban department in 1991. Didn't have a lot of runs, but we did have runs and we used to make runs to a large uh, and worldwide company in that running area. It's only, I think, maybe two or three square miles, if that was the running area. Mostly residential, but I learned. Right. And so- It's a great foundation. It was a great foundation. When I came to the city, it was culture shock. Right. A, you know, the fire academy, I went to basically a, a vocational school for the 200 hours that I went through, the firefighter training I went through for the suburban fire department. But when I got on with the city of Cincinnati, it is a structured in-house fire academy. And, you know, first off, City of Cincinnati is the first paid fire department in the country. April 1st, no pun intended, April 1st, 1853 <laughs> is when the Cincinnati Fire Department came into existence as a paid fire department. So things like the fire pole and tiller trucks and all that, that kind of starts here. Wow. And there's a website, actually, cfdhistory.com that you can find out a lot of information about uh, the Cincinnati Fire Department. So when I came here to the city of Cincinnati, the first day, you know, we had a drill instructor who was in in charge. And and I was never in the military. So some of my classmates, when we came in, they were in the military. It's no big deal to them. Right. But this guy barking and yelling at everything was, was so much of a culture shock. Now, I was so happy to be there. I didn't care right. <laughs> that you yelled at me. Exactly. You were, you were floating anyway. Right. Because now I'm at the place where I really want it to be. Right. Not just the fire service, but the fire department I wanted to work for. I was born and raised in the city of Cincinnati. I went to Cincinnati public schools, the whole bit. So That's now I'm home. where I want to be. You're home. But this 16 weeks of being yelled at and stuff. And, and the one thing I learned was I tried very hard not to tell anybody about my past of being a firefighter already. Because that is the kiss of death. Because eventually somebody will say, well, in my old fire department, we yeah. did it. Th-. No. Worst thing, to, worst thing to say. So I kept it on. I never told anybody. Now, there were friends of mine who I grew up with who were on the fire department. And they didn't drop a dime on me. I didn't. But the drill, the instructors knew they, they the background see. of people. Yeah. Plus, they see it in your skill. But, you know, I still tried to play very low key. Right. Smart. We were out doing an evolution in the drill yard one day. And one of the captains he dropped a dime on me and hey shelton do this i know you were firefighter someplace else (sighs) no (laughs) yeah so you know i did it because i was ordered to do it but still and, and i tell my students that all the time that my students at the community college if you get hired someplace and maybe you came from someplace don't say ever we did it this way at so-and-so 
Right, because reality that will care. mark you for life. <laughs> and they don't care where you did it somewhere else. No, because this is our way. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And so even when I'm teaching at the community college or even when I'm teaching for the fire academy, I have to be very cognizant of not integrating Cincinnati things. Well, this is how we do it. Doesn't matter how you do it in Cincinnati. Right. Columbus has their way. Akron, Toledo, Cleveland, they all have their own ways. Other departments. So you have to be very general and speak in broad terms. Now, obviously, in the fire service, there are certain things, there are certain terms that are just indigenous to the fire service. Absolutely. Got it. But don't start going into, in Cincinnati, we do it this way. Right. Don't volunteer it. Now, you know, sometimes people hard, will take though. you aside and they'll say, hey, how do you guys do it here? That's one thing. Yeah. But That's dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. But not in the big class, no. Right. So you graduate from the Cincinnati Fire Academy. You, you, you're home. You made it, right? Your dream came true. Yes. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's a truth, right? For, I mean, it's a truth. So you graduate the academy. What was your first assignment? You're going to love this. So my first assignment, my first quote-unquote permanent house, you're a six man. Our, our companies are five main companies and a six man is a probie who travels from firehouse to firehouse. They really don't truly have a home for the first year or two. Okay. But my first assignment made assignment was to engine 51. You gotta be kidding me. So, and they were a paramedic engine company. Now, all of our engine and truck companies are paramedic companies. Right. But I was, that. my first house was Engine 51. <laughs> my senior man was my neighbor who lived downstairs. That is awesome. So when I walked in the first day, my son just walked in here. <laughs> and he gave me a big hug. And that was my first senior man, my neighbor who knew from four years old that I was going to do this job eventually. And I got to work with him for the first couple months I was on the fire department before I was transferred to a truck company that didn't have enough members on it. Bobby, and then me, I got made on the like truck. What was that like for you, man? To go from an engine to a truck? No, to be in that house with your neighbor. I mean, that, that'd be huge for you. Uh, was that by design or it just happened? No, no, it was not by design. It was, it just happened. That's crazy. And A, I probably hadn't seen him probably in 20 years. I bet you it was just as special for him as it was for you. You know, he'll play it low key and he would probably say if you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but he was happy to see me as I was to see him. That's great. And to work with him. And to just, and we would reminisce when he was back on the firehouse that was in my neighborhood. And when they would come do, we would just sit around and talk about stuff when I was a kid. Right. Something you two can share. So that was very special for me. Right. And I, I, I think it was special for him. He may deny it, but I think it was special for him. What did your mom say? My mother was so happy when I made the fire department because she knew this was the only thing, my whole family knew and all my friends knew that this was the only thing I wanted to do. 
yeah, to see someone fulfill their dream is so huge. And it's rewarding for the person to see it also. So my mother, uh, my sister and I were just talking yesterday, in fact. She lives in Indianapolis. And we were just talking. And I was telling her, I said, you know, I'm close to retirement now. Because I've got 29 years in. She you. said, all I remember is when, when you were a little boy. I was like, yeah. I said, and now who would have thought that I've done this job for this long? and more or less haven't had any significant injuries or anything else to have survived this long. Thank God. And to still enjoy going to work. There have been some assignments I haven't enjoyed as much, but to still in all be able to go to work and enjoy what I do, whatever aspect, even if it was something I didn't really want to do, I've always, my mother raised me to put 100% into whatever I do. And so, okay, I'm not on a rescue company for this period of time. Whatever my assignment is, do the best you can at it. Absolutely. And and, and, and that's always me, been my goal. I mean, based on your resume and what you're saying, I, it's obvious to me that you have stayed the course and you have worked your ass off this entire time to get where you're at. So nothing was handed to you. You've worked super hard to get it. And that's, that is huge. And that's what we preach to people all the time. Uh, well, your brothers and sisters watching right now, he just said it like that, right? 29 years, you remember starting. That's how it's going to be. It's just, it just happens so fast. And before you know it, you know, you got that much time on. You get it, on the, it, go ahead. It, it's, it's funny because last month, this is October, I guess it was, yeah, last month, uh, my senior man on the rescue company retired. And he was, in my opinion, he, he was the ultimate rescue guy. Knowledgeable about, you know, and on our rescues, because we do so many th different things, you're a jack of all trades, a master of none. Right. <laughs> but he was so eloquent in the way he spoke and the way he taught and his work ethic. And when he left the rescue, he went to our mass services unit and he was in charge of our mass services unit. And also on our heavy rescues, we're also responsible for all the SCBA maintenance, wow. the meter maintenance, fit testing, all of that. It all falls on the rescue. <laughs> and so when he, he went to the mass services unit, right. some of those responsibilities he took on as far as the meter maintenance and the SCBA maintenance. So the guys on the heavy rescue still do that because to be on our heavy rescue in Cincinnati, you have to be a state fire instructor. You have to be a hazmat tech or above. You have to be a rescue tech. You have to be a mask maintenance tech. Wow. That's to be on the heavy rescue here. And I learned so much from him and some of the other guys I work with, but especially him, uh, and, and I, he retired last month and again, and I had to thank him for a, his friendship and B just for the things that he taught me. Right. The knowledge uh, is down to you. And, and I will never, I don't think I'll ever learn as much as he's forgotten. I had a driver that was the same way. He had been on the heavy rescue since I think dirt was formed. <laughs> so, <laughs> I will never, ever, ever learn as much as he's forgotten. 
I mean, he just was a fountain of knowledge about stuff. And both of these guys, they were never trying to hide it. I find sometimes that people don't want to pass it on for whatever reason. That's a big problem, man. That's a big problem in the fire service. Uh, if you ask, they're going to teach you. If they see you putting forth the initiative, they're going to help you. And sometimes it's just a matter of sitting around, just being quiet and listening. We, we preach. It's funny, man. We preach these things all the time. And the biggest thing is keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open because all the knowledge, like you said, those senior guys that you talk about, when they talk, people should shut up and listen because that's how you're going to gain that experience and knowledge. And you just said it. Well, the scariest thing about it now is that now I'm the senior man on the rescue, <laughs> which, it, it, and I, you know, it, it's been my experience traditionally that especially on the East Coast, the senior man really does mean something. Absolutely does. Over time, it doesn't mean as much here as it used to. When I first came on, the senior man was responsible for training the new guys and all that stuff. Now it's more or less just kind of, for lack of a better, it's a seniority thing. Now, do, do guys listen? Sure. But it doesn't, and, and, and I'm not stuck on titles or anything else, but I just know how it was right. and how it is now. So, yeah, I am the senior man. Uh, we have we have three unit days, unit one, two, and three. We work a 24-48 with a three-week Kelly. Um, on my unit day, I am senior to everybody. That's the driver, the lieutenant, the other two firefighters. On the rescue company as a whole, I'm senior even to our captain. Wow. So, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just time. Right. And have I gone to a class or two? Yeah. <laughs> Have I taught a class or two? Just a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you know, it's bad when you go to a class. I go to Anderson. I would go to Anderson two, three times a year. It's bad when they know you by name. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not a big alcohol drinker, but I would always go to the bar on the the base because that's where everybody hung out. Yeah, network. And, and and the bartenders knew. Oh, that's the Diet Coke guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, but... People can call worse. <laughs> right. Right. But, you know, that's the one thing I, I miss is the the senior guys. And, and I'm not to say that every senior guy in our department, uh, all of them are upright guys, but it just kind of seems like younger firefighters are kind of getting away from that. And, and it goes back to kind of what you said. Sometimes it seems like, and I'm not going to classify a whole generation, but it does sometimes seem like some people just feel they're entitled. Yeah. And maybe they got on the fire department the first time. I'm happy that you got on the first time. For me, no guidance, right? For me, it was a little bit harder. And it made me work a little bit harder. And it, it, it helped me with my work ethic even more because I got laser focused on this is what I want. And, and I'm going to do whatever I can hard. to get it. You worked hard for something you, you wanted. So you know that struggle. You know how right. hard it was to get on. And then, you know, with the hazmat thing now, 
the first hazmat class I went to, I just about passed out. <laughs> it was the most boring thing I had ever heard in my life. One of the things though I had always said was that if I ever was a teacher in the fire service, instruct anything, I was not going to be that guy. Oh yeah. Yep. So I was in this, I was on with Cincinnati for a few years. I had a friend who introduced me to a friend of his who was a captain in Louisville's fire department. And we got to be very, very close. And he told me, he said one time he, he had his own consulting business, teaching hazmat on the side. And he sent me some books. He said, I want you to just read this and read a couple of these books. And then I want you to come down to Louisville, which is two hours from Cincinnati, and just kind of check this out. Now, this guy is an outstanding teacher, outstanding public speaker. And I watched and I learned so much from him. And I said, hey, I could do this. This is interesting to me. And that's how I got started teaching hazmat for him first for a private company. He was also an IAFF instructor. And there were only at that time four black IAFF instructors. In the whole country? In the whole country. I made the fifth. And so I learned so much from all these instructors because at the, at the time, there were only like 99 IAFF instructors that did hazmat around the country. Wow, that's not and a lot. They were from all over the country. Some guys from FDNY, some guys from Chicago, Boston, Oklahoma, all over, Florida, all over the place. And I would listen to these guys and the knowledge that they had. And again, now I'm soaking this stuff up. Yeah. I'm just really getting into this hazmat stuff and starting to read books. And there were a couple guys who especially were extremely helpful to me from FDNY. They were on Hazmat One. They wow. were some of the founding members of Hazmat One. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I would sit and talk to these guys and I would go out and teach with these guys and I would observe their teaching style and how they related to the guys and the humility like you talked about yep. they didn't you know talk themselves up hey i'm with fdny they're just regular firemen just like anybody else because regardless of what department you're from or with paid or volunteer the fires aren't any hotter any place else <laughs> you're absolutely right the smoke will still kill you in a heartbeat wherever yep. you are so these guys, I really paid attention to, and I saw how excited they were about hazmat. And it, for me, it was infectious. So I started getting into hazmat, and I started really getting into hazmat. I was already a state fire instructor for the state of Ohio. And then I went to, to uh, Anniston and got classes there. Then I went to some FEMA instructor classes and it just kept on building and building. And I'd go to this class and that class and I'd bring it home and I'd teach it here or teach it there. And it just increased my love for hazmat. As well as, I mean, I love going into burning buildings. I don't know anybody who does. I, I saw a quote one time on the internet. No one ever said, I want to be on the ambulance today. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch for that. 
<laughs> now, those people who ride our medic units, we do have some permanently assigned medic units. That's great. I am not mad at you that you want to be on the medic unit. But that's not me. Am I a paramedic? Yes. Do I dip, do a dip on the paramedic unit every once in a while? Yeah. Am I detailed to a, a paramedic engine company? Sure. But I want to stay on my rescue company. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to go into fires and I want to do hazmat stuff. And I want to hang on the side of a building. But that's the overall love of, for me, of, of the fire service, the fire department. We have people who are just engine people. That's great. <clears throat> um, <laughs> we have those people who are on a truck. You'll never hear me say anything bad about a truck because I spent the vast majority of my career on the uh, career on the truck. Once a truck, you're always a truck. And I am I am a rescue guy. I love it. Uh, I still got some truck in me, but I am a rescue guy. And had I known when I came on the fire service, because I didn't come to the rescue until late in my career, because I always thought the truck was where it's at. Oh, yeah. Until I got on a rescue. Well, they pick on me because we call ourselves the truck company, but we have a, we have a pump, obviously. So, you know. So it's a quint. It's a quint, but, yeah. you know, we, we uh, have our little slogan, you know, uh, which is a 547 trucking company. Everybody breaks our chops, but that's all right. We, uh, we'd run five also. And, uh, <laughs> we show up and like, you got water in that. That's not a truck. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny because we had on, on the, we used to be called squad 52 and we were squad 52 for only a, I think a little over a hundred years. I think we were formed in 1917, 19, I can't remember. And in 2000 something, we took on the number of the engine company that was in the house. So then we became squad 14 and then we became rescue 14 and now we're heavy rescue 14. But when we were squad 52, when I got there, we had t-shirts and on the back of the t-shirt, it said, uh, how, how is it phrased? It says, uh, loved by few, hated by many, respected by all. That's awesome. That's good. I love that, though. So, you know, that and we have been called in various iterations. We've been called the God Squad <laughs> because, you know, supposedly we know everything. We do right. everything. It's tongue in cheek. Absolutely. And sometimes we will refer to ourselves as the God Squad just because. So we were the first heavy rescue in the city. Then we eliminated one of our truck companies and created a second heavy rescue. So one heavy rescue covers one side of the city and the other heavy rescue covers the other side. So affectionately, we named them the Jesus squad. <laughs> so because we Fire were great. <laughs> so, you know, and of course that creates competition. Sure. So, you know, but it's all fun. I spent uh, three years on it on one of our paramedic engine companies. It was fun, um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. But I went there, and it was some good experience. I think it made me a better paramedic. Um, I, I can say honestly that I've not had any assignment on a fire company that I didn't enjoy. Uh, but for me, at this point in my career, as I'm winding down, the rescue is the only place I want to be. 
and I'll finish up and retire from the rescue. And that's, again, boiled down to, I, I have my dream job. It's great. It's and and I wish that as many people felt the way I do about the job. Right. Because some people, it's just a job. Sure. There have been some people I've worked with who they place more priority on their off-day gig mm-hmm. than on their full-time gig. And that's your choice. But I just thoroughly enjoy um, what I do. And it's open opportunities for me, like you and I were talking. I've met people I would have never ever thought I would meet. Uh, One of my best teaching experiences when we were talking about emergency was I got to teach in LA County. That's awesome. (laughs) And so one of the captains at the LA County Training Academy, I asked him, I said, hey, um, where is engine 51? He said, now, do you mean the real engine 51? Or the one from the TV show? (laughs) Because Engine 51 is actually on the lot of Paramount Pictures. Oh, no kidding. And so they have an engine company and a squad. And so I went to Paramount and they called ahead from the fire academy, told the captain I was going to come and visit. And he and I hit it off right away. I ride motorcycles. He rides motorcycles. So we talk and they have a little golf cart that they ride around on when they go from different lots and stuff. So I saw them filming some movies and some other stuff, which was really cool. Then the next day I was teaching at the fire Academy in LA County, they caught up station 127, which is where the TV show was filmed in uh, the city of Carson. Okay. So it was like a two hour drive from where I was. And the guys at that firehouse, pretty much the firehouse has stayed the same. No kidding. For the most part, it stayed the same. Looked the same. But the people, the the firefighters there, they know that it's an iconic place. They don't turn anybody away. They're always super nice. And you know, I told them, I said, "Hey, I'm teaching at the fire academy. I just wanted to come by. I'm from Cincinnati." And you know, firemen can sit down and talk about anything. Absolutely. Look at us right now. We never met. We did. Right. And that was probably one of the best experiences that I ever had as an instructor being able to go to you know LA County and teach and that firehouse you watch as a child that's and awesome. that firehouse that I watched as a kid yeah it's awesome Bobby talk to me a little bit about um, what the kitchen table means to you I sent you some pictures of our our table in the firehouse yep and uh, I'm finding as, as time progresses, that at least here, sometimes it doesn't seem like it means as much. The kitchen table, yeah, we sit there and eat, and I, I'm a firm believer in we really eating together. Maybe you're not in the mess, but you bring your own food, but eating together is a big deal. Absolutely. Because that's where you laugh and talk and you make fun of each other. And you know, of course, every fire department, every firehouse, has solved the world's problems a million times over at the kitchen table. Absolutely. (laughs) Because you will have guys, you'll have the lawyer guy. Now we actually have guys who are actually real lawyers in the fire department here. That's cool. Uh, One guy worked in the public defender's office (laughs) as his off day job. So we do have real lawyers. Uh, We've had people in our fire department who are PhDs. 
uh, and have run the gamut from outside jobs and what have you. And you can figure out the world's problems. You can laugh at yourself. You can laugh at other people. You can learn. And that was the big thing, um, learning right. more than anything at the kitchen table. Yeah, it's familial and it's family. And we're there a third of our lives and we're eating and we're cooking and everything. But I think sometimes you learn more at the kitchen table than you do at a drill on whatever you're going to drill on for the day. And it's a much more relaxed and more comfortable atmosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's extremely valuable. And then if, you know, if there are some who are having a hard time with whatever the situation is, you know, that's the one place where you can speak freely. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak freely. Sometimes you can help your brother or sister. Sometimes they just need somebody to vent to. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They could just say one thing and then it's off their chest. You don't even realize that it's a, a problem per se. Right. But them just talking about it usually will solve the problems. And that's, and that's, and you mentioned earlier about the responsibility of the senior man. Uh, one of the things I'll talk about uh, for a moment is my opinion of the senior man is making sure that the house stays in order. And I'm not talking about taking out the garbage and mobbing the floor. I just mean when that senior man or woman sees there's an issue in the house, I feel like it's incumbent upon them to correct that issue if they can before it goes to the bosses, before it goes to the unions, before it goes to all that stuff. Um, we seem to get away from that a little bit where our mentors aren't mentoring like we should be. Where I feel like back in the day, and, and you can attest to this, that if there was an issue, you go to the senior man in the house or the senior woman in the house and say, listen, this is going on. I need your advice. What should I do? Well, and, and the other thing, too, is over time, society has changed in general. And so we've talked, we talked a little bit about how it seems some people are entitled. Obviously, the things that used to be done 25 or 30 years ago aren't done today. Because when I first came on, the house captain, that was the law. Nothing went outside the house. It didn't go to the district chief. It, right. The house captain took care of it. Right. It didn't leave your house. Exactly. It never left the house. Right. Nowadays, it seems like the chiefs are being involved in minutia, yep. which that's taking up their time. 100%. Uh, when they need to be doing whatever they're doing. And so sometimes it seems like maybe it's just society in general seems to, to a certain extent, and this isn't all house captains, but to a certain extent, it's kind of rendered them in a position where they can't step in as much for fear of insulting someone, hurting someone, having something thrown at them that's taken way out of, of, of context or whatever. So nowadays you have to tread lightly with everything. You're absolutely right. And so I think that's taken away some of that. It's not leaving the house stuff anymore. Yeah, because unfortunately, like you just said, in today's society, as it's changed, uh, that house captain is that house captain going to be on a hook because something wasn't done that should have, you know, shouldn't have left the firehouse, but technically, you know, policy wise, it should have left the firehouse to, to right. Work. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. You're absolutely right. I think that. And, and, and even factor. in the, with training, right. You, you have to be very aware 
you have to be very sensitive to what's going on. Um, you have to be, you have to, you have to really be, I can't, it's hard to articulate, but you have to carry yourself in such a manner that you convey the information, but at the same time, you don't want to alienate anyone. Right. And mm -hmm. you certainly want to be sensitive to everybody's individual needs. We're still going to teach you the fire service stuff, but there are certain parameters that you just have to work in. And I'm not saying that's bad, but they're just, you have to be careful. Um, you know, I've seen other podcasts and they're okay. Um, I may not be a fan of some of the other podcasts out there. Uh, sometimes I think that if you're from the outside and you watch a podcast, you may have a somewhat negative view of firefighters um, with some of the podcasts. And they're just talking like me and you are. But again, you have to be careful. It's a culture. It's a culture. And so we get it. And so there are certain things that could be said around the firehouse or certain actions that can be done around the firehouse. But it may not be for public consumption. Absolutely right. And sometimes I've seen some other podcasts. It's like, mm, if somebody looking on the outside saw this, what would they think? Yeah. And so you just have to be careful. And I'm not going to put down this podcast. With, I'm just saying that overall, we have to be careful and we have to, to a certain extent, change. You can change without getting rid of tradition. You can stay up with the times without getting rid of tradition. Right. But you do have to be careful because times have changed. And I feel like we have a responsibility to not only agencies we work for, but to ourselves as a, as a family, as a brotherhood, as we talk about in sisterhood in the fire department, you know, we don't want to portray ourselves in a negative light in the public because that's going to affect everybody. And then that's, that's what sucks is you could do something in wherever in California and in New Jersey, firefighters are going to feel it too, because it's a ripple effect. Right. So you're right. It's our responsibility to make sure that we portray ourselves in a perfect light. And, and one of the things that, that, you know, I have really appreciated, you know, I would go to classes for years and I would be one of a few African-American firefighters there for years. As I mentioned, I was like the fifth African-American firefighter who was an instructor for the IAFF for quite some time. And the general president at one of our instructor conferences said, we need more diversity. We need more female firefighters. We need more people of color. And so the effort was made. That was maybe 15 or so years ago, 17 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and now we've got some, some social unrest going that's kind of around that. And the superintendent of the Ohio Fire Academy, he was a firefighter for a suburban fire department down here in Cincinnati. And in fact, on our county urban search and rescue team, which I'm a member of, he was my squad leader. When he got up to the fire academy and became the superintendent of the fire academy, he reached out to my, myself and some other firefighters from the Cincinnati area who were African-American said, hey, we need to increase the diversity of the fire academy staff. 
we need to increase the diversity of the people we reach out to as far as students, not just people of color, but females. We need for the fire academy and the fire service to be representative of the people we serve and protect. And I have so much respect for him for doing that and wanting to have that conversation that right now can be uncomfortable for some people. But he wanted to do that. He's done it. The Fire Academy has continued to work towards goals of really diversifying. And it's, it's nice to see that there are departments who, again, you can maintain the tradition, but who are willing to look at the world as it is and say, hey, this might be something that we need to address. And let's address it head on but right. do so in a civil and respectful manner and see if we can be agents of change. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and I've really appreciated that. What is it about the Cincinnati fire department that you respect the most? I know it's a tough question, especially with 29 years there, but. The, the one thing that I respect most about Cincinnati is for the diverse people I have worked with in my career who have come from all types of backgrounds and those people who I've worked with, I really respect the fact that they were willing to teach. I, I respect that tremendously. They're willing to teach. Um, it's funny when I look at the past 25 years I've been there, um, I've seen people, uh, I remember working for a lieutenant, I was detailed to an engine company. And I remember when he made captain, he was my captain on a truck company. Then he became a district chief. Then he became an assistant chief. Now he's the chief of the department. Uh, he came awesome. on the department when he was 18 years old. Only job he's ever known. That's great. And now he came on the fire department in 1988. Now he is the chief of the department. That's great. So you got to respect a guy who goes from firefighter and moves up through the ranks like that. Those are the best leaders because they get it. I have met some fire chiefs. Of course, you know, we go to fire departments all over the country. You know, there's always going to be somebody that's going to complain about the chief. <laughs> Of course, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's unwarranted. Sometimes it's warranted. They say it's lonely at the top. It is. And you have to make some decisions that are not going to be always accepted by the rank and file. But you got to respect a guy who stands up and makes the decision. Good, right. bad, or indifferent. He Absolutely. made the decision. Not easy. It ain't easy. <laughs> so, Bobby, you teaching obviously means a lot to you. I can tell it means a lot to you. You could say one thing to a firefighter looking to come on the fire department. What do you say to him? What are your, what's your best advice to a firefighter just coming on right now? If you want it and it's your dream, don't give up. Get what you want. And you're That's what I would tell anybody. Get what you want. You're a perfect example of that. You, you are a living example of that. That's and, it. and I tell people that. I said, hey, look, 
I didn't get on when I wanted to, but I kept trying because it was something I wanted. And that's not, and you know, that's not just for the fire service, that's life. If there's something you want, go get it, make it happen. You can't expect a handout, make it happen for yourself. Right. Um, all the opportunities I've had, I've never had a handout. I've always worked hard, whether it was, you know, teaching the things I taught or getting on with the IFF teaching for the 12 years I taught for them or teaching for the fire academy, um, teaching at the community college I've been with. I've been there for over 20 years. Wow. Teaching, um, writing articles for fire engineering. I would have never thought that I could write an article for fire engineering, yet alone be a classroom presenter at FDIC five years. But it was something I wanted. It was something I was passionate about. I went after it. And, you know, it takes a lot of work. And sometimes you get discouraged. Don't let discouragement get you down. Get what you want. You deserve it. But you got to work for it. Being in Cincinnati, and it, it's a busy department uh, with a lot of awesome history. Um, that website you talked about is phenomenal. I'm so glad you turned me on to that because I loved everything about that. It's so cool to see uh, the progression in the site, uh, the amount of history. One thing I'll ask you is, looking back at your 25 years in Cincinnati, is there one call or one job that was memorable to you? I have the, the ability to compartmentalize. And so after a while, runs just kind of they blend into each other. They blend into each other, but there, there is one in particular. And the other thing is, too, I'm able to do that, A, because my mother being a nurse, she could separate things. And B, like we talked about earlier, I have an incredible support from my wife. Uh, it's funny because my daughter, who's 29, has never known me to be anything other than a fireman. But I actually did have jobs before, <laughs> before that. <laughs> but one run in particular... Uh, the, the truck company I was on for years and years, I think I was there for 12 years, was in an urban part of the city. Gun and Knife Club, lots and lots and lots of fires. I was detailed to the engine on a particular day, and we made a run just up the street from the firehouse. And what, had, what happened, the run was for an infant not breathing. And... Apparently, the one of the parents, I, I believe it was the father, they had the baby in the bed with them. And I think the father, if I remember correctly, worked nights. Oh, I know where this is going. It happened to me. Yeah. And rolled over on the baby. Yep. Smothered the baby. So we had a paramedic unit come. So the two paramedics were working the baby. I got on the paramedic. I wasn't a paramedic at the time, but I was on the medic unit with them doing C helping do CPR and doing whatever else. And the, the level one trauma center for children's was five or seven minutes away. We have two level one trauma centers in Cincinnati. University of Cincinnati Hospital Medical Center is our level one trauma. And right. then we have Children's Hospital Cincinnati, which is the pediatric trauma center. We load the baby on and we take off. Well, in the meantime, the engine company stayed back 
because the father was so distraught that he punched out a window in the house and just shredded his arm. So he's bleeding all over the place. Right. Understand. Again, you're distraught because yeah. you're you're thinking, I did this to my my and the infant, I don't even know if the infant was a month, maybe at most two months old. Right. That is the one run that I remember from the city. From the 29 years, I will never forget my first fire. That was just like this is it. This is the real thing now. This isn't training. And it was with my, my suburban fire department, the first fire department I got on with. And I remember my first fire like it was yesterday. I can tell you who was in there with me. I can tell you what happened. I can tell you where it was. I've driven by the place on numerous occasions. And my wife always laughs because I'll look at the place and just smile. So, you know, I remember my first fire. I remember my first quote unquote, bad EMS run. Uh, and over the years, I've just had different experiences and different runs. Some of them, as you know, you get in the truck and you'd start laughing your head off because right. of it. <laughs> or you make some joke that was wholly inappropriate, oh, but absolutely. you never do it in public. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's been a fun ride for me. It really has. That's great. I got to tell you, Bobby, it was uh, it was so fun to talk to you, get to learn about, you know, your experiences in the fire department and your experiences, um, you know, teaching, which is huge. I love the fact that um, you have so much charisma. I love the fact that you're teaching, uh, you're mentoring other firefighters, uh, you're leading by example, and the fact that you're able to bring your experiences now that you've had and teach other firefighters and mold other firefighters into a positive um, atmosphere that you have. You have so much positive energy and positive motivation. I think it's so important in the fire service right now. And uh, I, could, I couldn't thank you enough for coming on to the show. It was, a, it was so great to have you. You know, I've heard it said on every one of your podcasts, and it's true. It's not a cliche. It is, and you know this, it is the greatest job you will ever have. 100%. Bobby, thank you so much, brother. Before no problem, bro. Before we close, I'd be remiss to ask, is there one person in your career that you could say was either your mentor or your guiding light? I know it's a tough question because there's a lot of people. There were three. Okay. There were three. When I went to the truck company that was in the urban area, and I spent 12 years there. It was an engine and a truck in the house. At the time I got there, I think the driver on the engine had maybe 25 years in or something like that. He retired after 34. So I worked with wow. him probably eight or 10 years. 34, wow. And he was the engineer on the engine company. And he was a great mentor. Now I was on the truck. Okay. My driver on the truck. And back then, we, we still had tractor-drawn aerials. So my driver on the truck, in my opinion, and really, it was the opinion of a lot of people in the fire department, was the best truck driver in the fire department, literally. 
he could put that tiller truck where no one else could put it. It's a gift. And the driver, the two other drivers in our house on the truck were trained by him. Wow. He helped write our driver's manual, but he was the most humble person. You could talk to him about anything and he was just a fountain of knowledge. So those two guys, and plus my senior man on the rescue company who just retired, I think more than anybody helped mold me. I really do believe that. Well, they did a great job, brother. <laughs> Thank you. We, we, we appreciate that. Well, I, I'm not going to say stay safe out there because we all know that this job, it's almost impossible to stay safe. Um, but especially now. Especially now, yeah. But uh, what I will say is to everyone out there, don't give up. Keep taking those tests. Keep applying. Never, ever, ever give up. And Bobby, I appreciate you saying those things because I think that's what people need to hear. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Pin the Q Productions here at Pin the Q Podcast with Bobby Shelton. Mm-hmm.